Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Remember, I remember when I lost my mind. Um, it was when the Packers decided they were not going to do whatever it took to keep Aaron Rodgers. That's when I lost my mind. They're crazy. But that word crazy is a weird word, isn't it? We use crazy for everything now. Um, it's cr- that girl's hair is crazy. Uh, the ordering pizza with black olives, that is crazy. Disgusting and crazy, and if you do, you're a monster. Um, it, you know, but, but we, say, we say things are crazy, like you're crazy if you didn't like that movie. Um, but then we, we, like, so that's kind of the, the surface level stuff. And then, um, and then we say things like that chem tool explosion, right? That was, cr- am I right? Was that not crazy? Like, did you, did you wake up and see the cloud and be like, oh, Jesus, it's time. All right, <laughs> here you come. Um, that was crazy. We say that, that's crazy. Um, we say that across the country, this epidemic of mass shootings is crazy. We say the pandemic time in, in, in quarantine was crazy. We, we use it, but then all of those things don't even talk about what, what, the, where that word started, because it used to be that crazy was somebody who was mentally ill, right? I mean, somebody who's, who's getting locked up, and, and now we would never use that term to, to, to describe somebody who's, who, uh, I, would, I would never say somebody who's cr- is crazy, who is, has struggles with schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or any of the rest of them, because what we know now is people don't just go crazy. There are chemical, biological, neurological things that are happening inside of the body that keeps people locked in those states. And so, so that word crazy gets a little weird, because what it really now means When we say something's crazy, what we really mean is it's weird. It's like like there are all of these rules for the world, and if somebody's crazy, it's that they don't don't fit in to the rules for the world that we have, the the culture that we have all, um, that we've all kind of made a pact. This is how life goes. And... um, and so I wanted to start hit songs with crazy. A, I love the song. Um, but I also, I, I think that the first thing that you, you start to realize when you start thinking about crazy is that everybody is crazy to somebody. Everybody is crazy to somebody else. What you think about the world. Uh, you know, you think that all of the things that you say and you do and you think are normal. Otherwise, you wouldn't say and do and think them, Right? You think you're normal. Somebody else thinks you're crazy. Somebody else in the world thinks you're out of your mind. That's just the reality. And so I wanted to talk about what it looks like to live a life that is crazy, that looks a little bit crazy. Um, and I wanted to do it by, by bringing you into a story um, that, that I used to love when I was a kid because it was about a dude dancing naked. Um, yeah. Oh, I saw that. I saw that look. Um, yeah. And, uh, and so I want to dig, dig into that story just a little bit because I want to talk about what it means to live a crazy life. Um, and so we're going to be jumping into the story of King David. Now, it's right in the very beginning of King David's reign. And, um, 
David is trying to decide how to set up his kingdom, and he decides that there's a city that he wants to make sort of the capital, the epicenter of life in, this, in, the, in his kingdom, and he wants, to, he wants that city to be Jerusalem. Ever heard of it? Just kidding. Okay, um, so he wants Jerusalem to be the capital of, of, his, uh, of his empire, of his uh, kingdom, and so he, he moves there, and he decides there's this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. Now, you remember, for, for years and years and years, they have, been, um, they have had this uh, sort of traveling temple. It, was a t- it, it wasn't really a temple like you would think of a temple because it wasn't a building. It was a tent. It was a tent that would move from place to place, and they would set it up as a place to worship God. Um, it was called the tabernacle, and they would... Um, and they would set it up, and they would put in the middle of this tent this thing. And this, this thing was a box, and it's called the Ark of the Covenant. How many of you guys have ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, the very first one? How many of you have seen someone's face melted off? Okay, that's what we're talking about. This is the Ark of the Covenant where your face melts off. Maybe not. Um, but... Uh, that's, that's the thing that houses the presence of God. And so the, there were all of these rules for how the Ark of the Covenant would be moved around and how, the, how it would be put and where it would be put and what would be around it. All, you know, all of these rules because, for, because God wanted his people to know this, this box. And that's what it was. It was a box with, a couple of, uh, with rings on top and a couple of rods sticking through it that they could carry it with. And so, but God wanted his people to know this box is special. Not because the box is special, but because he was in it. He was there. His presence resided in this box. And so David decides, okay, I'm going to, I, I want to you know, start my kingdom. We're going to put it in Jerusalem. The first thing we need to do is we got to bring the box. Got to bring the ark to Jerusalem, because this is the center of our understanding of who God is and where God is. And so he sends some people out there. He says, go get the box and bring it to me. And, um, and you know, they, they, they kind of tried to do some things right. Um, but instead of doing it the way that they were always supposed to do it, what they did was they had some guys that took the, they hoisted the thing up, and they, they decided it's going to be a long walk. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a long way to walk with this big box on our shoulders. So they put it on a cart. And they put it on the cart, and they were going to wheel the cart over to, to where David was in Jerusalem. So they start wheeling the cart. And uh, at one point, there's this guy who's walking alongside the cart. His name's Uzzah. I like his name. Everybody say, Uzzah. You didn't say it right. Everybody say, Uzzah. There you go. You got a little, um, I totally made that up. That's not how you say the name. Okay, but I like it. Um, so this guy, Uzzah, he, he's walking alongside the cart. He's a good guy. Uzzah's not a bad guy. He's walking alongside the cart. He, the cart hits a bump. And the ark starts to slip, right? And what do you do? I mean, here's, this, is the, this is the presence of God. What are you going to do? Are you just going to let it fall on the ground? Heck No. So he reaches his hand up to, t- to hold the ark in, and his face melts off. No, I'm kidding. That's not exactly true. <laughs> but, but he does die instantly. Boom. Dead. Gone. Over. Done. Life is over. Ouch. The dude is trying to do the right thing. And actually, it's probably just a, 
a, a jerk reaction, right? Knee-jerk reaction, like it's falling, you pick it up. And he dies. And it freaks David out. He hears what happens. He's like, whoa, I don't want that thing. I don't want that thing anywhere near me. I don't want it around my kids. What if my kids throw a ball in there and accidentally, you know, no, okay, that was a joke. But you know what? I don't want this thing with me. He's petrified of it, and so he says, do not bring it here. And so they take it to the house of a guy named Obed-Edom. Let's, um, let's read 2 Samuel chapter 6, starting at verse 9. It says, David was afraid of the Lord that day and, how, and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom. Problem solved. Scary death box not coming to live with me. Um, and then let's keep reading. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom. That's a weird name. But um, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now, King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David was like, I got to get me some of that. Loosely translated. Um, he says, he, and so here's, here you got David. He is both at the same time petrified of this thing, but also desperate for the blessing that comes with it. Scared to death that he doesn't know how to control it. But man, life is going pretty darn good over here for Obed-Edom. I need some of that in my life. And so he decides, okay, we're going to do it again. This time we're going to do it right. Right? We're not going to shortcut this thing. We're not going to do, we're not going to put it on no stinking cart. We're going to go back and we're going to read how we're supposed to do it and we're going to do it like it's supposed to be done. And so that's what he does. But he also gets a little swept up in the whole thing. And that's where David goes a little bit crazy. Let's keep reading. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And then wearing a linen ephod, which is basically underwear, um, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. So have any of you guys ever seen Kellen dance? He and I were at the club yesterday, like, like we do. And um, I'm just going to say, that dude, that dude can shake it. And he just, um, I mean, his arms were flailing, his tongue was wagging. He... He did things with his butt that I can't even describe in church. And this is how David, King David, was dancing. I mean, he was out of his mind. He didn't care what anybody thought. He went all the way. He just like, he, he let loose. And he didn't care what anybody thought. And unfortunately, his wife, not so uh, not, not so willing to not care what everybody thinks. His wife, Michal, was mortified. Um, and so let's, let's read their, uh, their little interaction when, when David goes home. 
When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, son of Saul, or daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, Oh, this is, I love this. There's not a lot of uh, sarcasm in the Bible. This is full on sarcasm. I love it. Um, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked, and few of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. And David said to Michal, It was before the Lord. That was, I wasn't dancing for anybody else. I, I wasn't losing my mind for anything else. I, it, was, it was for God himself. It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father, a little dig at her dad. Um, anybody ever have a fight like that with your uh, spouse? Okay, who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his household when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you speak of, I will be held in honor. He comes home. And his wife says, you look like an idiot. You look crazy. His wife was the daughter of a king. She knows how a king is supposed to act. This is not it. You look like an idiot. You look ridiculous. You look crazy. And he said, you don't have a clue what really matters. You don't understand what matters in my world. I know you think that being a king is all about pomp and circumstance, and you, you think that being a king is about what I look like and what, it, what people think of me, but the truth is being a king is about submitting myself to God and doing things his way. You don't get it. And did you know we never hear from this woman again? All the scripture, that's it. That's her role. Because she didn't get it. She didn't get it. And I got, I got to tell you, I, I sympathize with Michal. I mean, I, I don't agree with her, clearly, because, you know, the Bible and stuff. But I sympathize with her because she, um, you know, she, she just knew what she knew. She grew up in a system, in a, in a world that said that what you look like is what matters. How you present yourself is what matters. And she just, she just missed it. Um, and I, I, I got to be real. If, uh, if you're here and maybe you, maybe you don't know what you think about, about God or Jesus or church or the rest of it, and, um, and you're not sure if any of that's real, I, I want to say to you, I think that, um, that it's normal for you to take a look at Christians like me and like some of the other people in this room, and think, these people believe weird crap. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know if you guys, those of you guys who have been in church a long time, I, I've been in church my whole life. I think we forget how weird some of the things we believe are. You know what I'm saying? I think we forget how crazy it sounds to believe some of the things. We believe that God impregnated a teenager. Do you realize how crazy that sounds? We believe that there is, a, um, that there is this man who lived 2,000 years ago, who wasn't just a man, who died, came back to life, and then came back in a spirit who we believe 
leads and guides us right now. Now, I know when I said all of that right here, anybody who has been in church a while is like, yeah, duh, right? Yeah, duh. but if you didn't grow up in church, do you realize how crazy that sounds? That's weird. It's okay to admit that it's weird because weird is just something that, that doesn't comport with the normal things of this world. And I got to tell you, following Jesus does not comport with the normal things of this world. If you grew up thinking that, um, that all, all that you have to do is take care of yourself, look after number one, take what you can get, nobody else is going to take care of you, that... I tell you what, if that's the, the world that you grew up in, following Jesus is crazy. It is crazy time. Because Jesus says things like, love your enemies. That's crazy. He says, put others' needs before your own needs. That sounds stupid. He says things like, all of the money that you earn, take a tenth of it and give it away. What? That's ludicrous. Following Jesus is crazy. Uh, Paul, it, but it's not newly. We think it's crazy because of the, of the world that we live in now, right? The truth is, Paul, the apostle, not long after Jesus um, died and rose again and came back, here's what he wrote about the exact same thing. He said, for the message of the cross... That's the message of Jesus, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The idea of Jesus, this, this concept that this man would give up his life willingly made no sense to the people of Paul's day. That's ridiculous. And so he says that message, that that. Uh, the cross itself is foolishness if you believe in a world where you take care of yourself. But to those of us who are being saved, it is everything. It is the power of God. It's the understanding that a crazy life is the only life for us. You know, there's a, there's a sense right now you know, this wasn't the case at, in Paul's time. Um, but right now, in this world, if you can't see it or feel it or measure it, it doesn't exist. If, you, if, it, can't be, if it can't be proven by science, it's not real. And I understand that. Man, most of us grew up in a world that, that told us that. That if it, if it doesn't um, if it isn't measurable, if it's not scientifically proven, then it just doesn't exist. Because in our world, let's be honest, science is God. In our culture right now, science is God. And can I take a minute here and just say something? I love science. Like, I am, I am not anti-science at all. As a matter of fact, uh, if you look at my phone, I've got a bunch of podcasts that are just science stuff because I am 
absolutely fascinated by science. I'm not against it. I, every time some, some scientist makes some new discovery, I am excited because, because every time a scientist makes a discovery, all he's doing is helping me to understand the creation of God. Science and Christianity are not against each other. Can we just all get over that? Science and Christianity are not at odds with each other. Science helps me understand God better. Science helps me understand how God made me. Science helps me understand uh, our, our culture better. Science helps me understand the world better. All of it is good. There is no need for a... So I'm not anti-science. Please, please, I love science. The problem isn't... The problem isn't in believing science. The problem is in believing only science. Because the reality is, there are a lot of things that science doesn't explain. And so the, the feeling right now is that if you believe anything other than science, you're crazy. But from my perspective, there are a lot of questions science doesn't answer. Where do we come from? Let's even, let's even just give the idea that even if the Big Bang was real, what happened before that? You know what the answer is? No. That's from the top scientific minds. There are a lot of questions, and I'm not, again, I'm not anti-science. I think I love that people are going after those answers. I'm grateful for it, but the truth is they don't know because there are things that are outside the realm of science. Science is a great thing, but only science is so limited. And so for me, the question isn't whether you have faith or don't have faith. Because we all have faith in something. Either I have faith in myself and what I think, or I have faith in science. Because I'll, I'll tell you this, I believe it takes just as much faith to believe in only science as it does to believe in a personal God. Just as much. And I'm not, I'm not dogging people who are, I'm just saying it takes faith either way, because there are still a ton of unanswered questions. And so, either I believe only science, which takes some faith, or I believe in this personal God, which takes faith. I'm never going to convince anybody. I, I want to say this straight, and I'm, I want to talk to Christians for a second. We somehow, a lot of us, grew up with the idea that if we just had all the right arguments, we could get somebody to believe all of the crazy things that we believe. If I have all the right words, if I make all the right arguments, I can move you from here to here. And then you'll accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Can I just tell you, that's not how it works. There is no eight-step, ten-step, fifty-step process that gets you from here to there. That's a logical argument. You know why? Because that would mean that the Holy Spirit doesn't have to be involved somewhere. That would mean that it wouldn't take a leap of faith to get you there. It all takes faith. 
And so the question isn't whether you have faith. It's what do you have faith in? And, um, and so I want to go back to if anybody is just not sure if you buy into this whole crazy life of Jesus. But if, you are, if you're not crazy like me, I, I, I want to ask you, um, how's that working for you? You know what I'm saying? Like, if, if, if you've chosen to put your faith in science, which we realize, I think I did a pretty good job convincing everybody that it takes faith to believe only science. If you're going to put your faith in only science, how's that working for you? I mean, if the pseudo-intellectual science is God, every man for himself culture has things right. How's it working? I mean, sure, it got me an iPhone. I'm happy for that. It made airplanes awesome. I like to travel. Um, but what's it done for your soul? How's it working for the deepest part of you? Has it developed your heart? What has it done for our society? Violence is on the rise. Poverty is on the rise. Hate is on the rise. Scientific revolution hasn't gotten us anywhere. So my question is, how is not crazy working for you? Because I'll tell you what, for me, I do not have a perfect life. A lot of junk happens in life, right? Well, I, I could give you a list, but I'm sure that I could bring up just about every person in this room onto this stage, and you can make a list of all the stupid stuff that's happened in your life. Some of it you did yourself. Some of it had nothing to do with you, and you just had to live with it. I do not have a perfect life. Stuff happens, and honestly, this is just between us, I'm not a really good Christian. I'm just not. I, I try. I screw up. I give up. I try again. That's just, that is just who I am. But I'll say this. Whenever, whenever I let myself live the crazy life of Jesus, somehow, someway, it always works. It just works. When, um, when I put to death my own desires and think of other people before myself, my inner life is better. When I, um, when I choose to love my enemies, not pretending that's easy. When I choose to love my enemies, my world is more peaceful. It's crazy. When I'm faithful in being generous, my God supplies all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Um, so I, I'm not trying to convince anybody anything because the truth is it takes faith either way, but here's what I know. What I know is that following Jesus works and there's a reason that it works. He's the one who made us. I mean, it sounds crazy. The way that we're supposed to follow him goes against everything that we think makes sense. Because we've been sold a bill of goods. We've been sold a bill of goods that you got to take care of yourself. You got to be selfish. 
that the only thing that exists is what is right here in this world. But here's the, re- here's the reason why crazy works. Because crazy is how God made us. He did not make us to live like this world is normal. That's not how we were made. We were created to live a crazy life, and it is the most healthy life that we can live. And so I just wanted to ask you today, are you willing to think crazy? What, what is it in your life that you find yourself being pulled back to normal? Because normal is easy, but it leads to pain. Where are you being pulled back to normal right now? Are you being pulled back in your, in your um, relationships? Is, it, is there something inside of you? Okay, men, we're going to talk for a second. Guys, is there something inside of you that <clears throat> you get home from work and you just don't have anything to give to the family, so you find yourself turning inward, being selfish with your time and your attention because it's, it's just easier because that's normal. Uh, is there anything, any way in your money that you, are, you just find yourself, it's so much easier to just do things for me, to be normal, not to, not to help that um, homeless person on the corner asking for money. It's just easier to be normal and drive by. Is there any way, is, is normal calling your name? And if it is, maybe it's time. Um, whether it's saying for the very first time, I want to follow Jesus, I want to be crazy, or man, I chose crazy a long time ago, but I let normal slip back in all the time. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.